executive producer of Collective BKP and I believe in creating brilliant business. So check me out at reemhamid.com and you're listening to the Dukan Show, home of the Bidoons. <laughs> Most people are, they don't, when they meet me, I think they don't, rec- I don't sound like, this is going to sound real racist, but I don't sound what I look, I don't look like how I sound. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. think you get that too, don't uh, you? Yeah. But then there's a natural assertion in your voice because I think because of your stature, you have to assert yourself. I do, yeah. and also because any industry that I've engaged with tends to be male-dominated. That's just as aside from like performing arts, mm-hmm. which is very fluid. Um, most of the industries that I've been in have always been really male-dominated, and like the only law, one, yeah. So that, law is the first thing, and then now the there was yeah there was law, and then now it's production like film production. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it, it, in the legal industry by that, and there was politics actually before that. Like, I studied politics in school. I was, gonna, uh-huh. I was an academic, and I was, you know, they teach you to have this voice, like this really strong voice. Like a and, Hillary Clinton kind of... Yeah, and to articulate your thoughts clearly in, yeah. a ver- in as little words, in as few words as possible. So you have to know many words. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I also think that the legal industry was like that as well. You had to really kind of know who you are and know your thought and almost gun for it. But if oh, okay. I was so tiny, yeah. uh, you know, sometimes I'll walk into a room and they're like, what's this 15-year-old know about, any- <laughs> know about anything? So you have to, you know, I'm here. I'm, I have something to say, you know? So how do you do the I'm here thing? Usually, usually it, I, I, don't, I don't even know where it began, but I think the I'm here now comes from being really comfortable with myself. Yeah. You know, okay. um, and so when when you have someone in the room, and this was something I guess from the women and and men that I admired the most, gravitas I realized, or like What's being gravitas? gravitas that power in in a person when okay. they walk in and you feel like this this power in and it's yeah. an energy, it's like a powerful energy. Okay, that comes from people who really deeply know who they are, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, like, yeah, yeah. who have this real like groundedness about them. Yep. And so when you are comfortable or are grounded, you can speak openly and, and loudly and not be afraid to do that. It's you know? being comfortable in your own skin. Isn't Definitely. It? As cliche, yeah. it's so cliche it, to say yeah, that. Yeah, the, the statement is cliche, yeah. but in practice, it's not really there. Okay. It's the toughest thing. It's yeah, like a whole really life hard. journey. What does yeah. it mean? To be comfortable in yeah. your own skin. I ask people that, actually. I ask people because it's it's something that I'm actually inquiring about. Mm. And one of my mentors, Barry Kirsch, he says, it's when you know your demons and you face them and you either live with them or you kill, you murder them, <laughs> you know? And so it is that your demons are those things that make you insecure. They're the things that tell you 
um, you're not why you know you're not good enough to have a show. You're not good enough to um, open your own business. You're not good enough to do all these things. That is a demon in you, I yeah. think. And 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 when you know who you are, you almost recognize the voice and say, "I hear you," and I'm scared, but I'm gonna do this anyways. Yeah. So you recognize it, you give it its place in your life. And you move on. This week has been mad hectic, and I'm speaking slightly hypocritically because this week has been so challenging um, personally, and I doubted myself quite a lot this week. But then I journal quite a bit, mm. and I think I journal, and gen- journaling is like meditation for me. Mm. So writing and words are meditation for me. And so when I sat down and I wrote about it, I wrote about the things that make me insecure, and I realized it's really my own voice just saying, like, who the question of who are you to tell people anything or who are you to, you know, um, who are you to do anything? That questioning is only you doing But then that. who are we to tell anybody anything? Well, the interesting thing is that if you decide or if you find, because I work with artists uh, quite a bit, I feel like sometimes they're driven to tell a story. A story almost comes through them. Not, not, not like, oh, I have this story, I've got to tell it. But like, I cannot sleep until I tell this story. And when a story comes through you like that, you almost have to give in to it. And, and, and there is something remarkable about that process, right? I don't even know. And if you question yourself, you'll question, who am I to tell the story? Yeah. Who am I to tell the story? Like, there's something that I tackled this week, which is I don't feel Arab enough. Like, I don't feel... Why not? Well, my dad's Iraqi. Mm. I lived in the Arab world for a lot of my life, but I don't speak Arabic. Oh, I thought you speak Arabic. I will. I can read at a very baseline Shwaya. level. Shwaya. <laughs> and uh, I can... Uh, when people speak, I understand completely. But I actually don't... Um, I love the... There's, I, I grew up eating Arabic food. I grew up in my Arab home. But then when I speak and I think, I feel Canadian. And I had this mm. like true conflict this yeah. week. It was like a conflict. And I think I've had it other weeks as well. But this week was a true conflict. And I said, you know, that's part of it. Is it like inquiring? And I wonder like, who am I to tell this Arab story? Like, who am I to tell the story of Arab people? And the answer is, I can. So therefore I should. Because we don't tell our stories enough. Yeah. And I say, I like, maybe a collective confused we... <laughs> <laughs> but I yeah you know. well I mean like because I read your bio so you grew up Canada and then after you did the political science law thing you yeah. were in Philippines right I went to the Philippines oh my god I went to the Philippines in my first year of law school and I worked some of the most amazing work in my life I did there is it I did yes I worked at a um a child, it was a child protection unit okay. mm-hmm. for girls in the sex trade who had oh, the problem with the Philippines and many islands is that they are um, the predators are usually foreigners so you can't really mm-hmm. capture them and hold them to the, accountable under yeah. the under the laws they come in for a week some bad out. stuff happens and then they They're go out. so girls who are brave enough to call them out are often put in witness protection programs. Mm. And I worked as a first-year law student wanting to save the world in this um, unit. And it was um, the mo- probably some of the most amazing experiences of my lifetime were formed there because I remembered, and I, I really, I sat in court, I faced you know, demons, like horrible, horrible people. But I also saw girls who lived in abject poverty. The, pov- the poverty is not their fault, 
and being assaulted was not their fault, but they somehow found a voice in them to say, this is the guy who did this to me. And somehow this person got caught and jailed and there was, there was a trial that will stand for these girls. And it took me to all parts of the Philippines. And that was an exploration of myself as well. It was a chance for me to like really get into this culture that uh, that's my mother's culture and a culture that is loving and full of music and, you know, that has a lot of poverty, uh, financial poverty, not they, emotional poverty. How did they um, respond to you as a, as a Iraqi Filipino coming from Canada into Philippines? Whenever I go back, I'm always a foreigner. I'm always treated, I'm not, back to the question of my identity, I'm not Filipino enough. Oh, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Okay. And I think part of that knowing who I am-ness is like learning that that's, I'm just a hybrid and I sit on the fence and that's perfect, you know? But when I, go, when I went back specifically to do that work, it took a few weeks and then suddenly one day I realized I was actually almost like I was integrated I could speak the language I could you know you speak Tagalog better than Arabic much better than my Arabic really? because I hung out with my mom a lot a lot more than I hung out with my dad okay. my dad was an entrepreneur so just like That's I barely spent time at home he was like All not home a lot he was like, everywhere you know um, so yeah that struggles was struggles of a third culture kid yeah man and third culture kids like Dubai is such an amazing place yeah to be a third culture kid because you feel literally like so many kindred spirits like you yeah, know it really is it's like when that that Thomas kicking it was sorry he he brought it up and he articulated he articulated really nicely he was saying that you know anywhere you go in the world being a third culture kid you'd always feel like an alien even in your home country yeah mm. but what's great about Dubai is that every almost everybody here is an alien the majority of people yeah. are aliens they're not from here so yeah. that's, that's why it makes it easier on us. Yeah, it's like your alien spaceship where, where you can all like hang out and just be like here for a while until you've got to go back. But then it's clearly causing feelings of uh, disconnect, yeah. anxiety. You yeah, you're, you're on the fence. Like you don't know which side to lean on. Yeah, you are. And you also, and it's not only that, I think that part of your part of your journey as somebody who is a third culture kid is you have to identify you have to you have to know inside you or you'll go through that conflict who am i where do i what do i identify with and many people like me now i'm kind of really embracing the fact that i am like all of these things but also very intellectually and culturally canadian mm. um and i'm very proud of that uh because it gives me freedom in many ways it gives me a voice um i think that when you're here a lot of third culture kids don't even want to explore being a third culture kid. True. They just kind of want assimilation and as fast as possible, please, you know. Yeah. And I respect that too because it's really tough to kind of accept that you really will never be accepted. You know, it's a tough thing to accept, right? You've got to kind of wrap your mind around the fact that... But then assimilation is, is a loss, isn't it? Uh, yeah, but it's also a gain if you want comfort. Like, it's a huge gain if you want, like, comfort and a place to belong. It is. Because what assimilation gives you is a community, it, whether or not it's um, complete. And what, it will never be perfect because I think it's human-made. <laughs> so, True. you know. I guess we all assimilate to some degree, to some right? Degree. We have to. Yeah. We have to. And, I mean, I think that I'm... I, I also feel like I want to... Um, I want to tell those th that story in some way that's honest about it to kind of say, when I was 16, all I wanted to do was be Canadian. Like, all I wanted to do 
was, you know, and I dated Canadian guys, and I, you know, would... Because you're the outsider. Because I was so outsider, and I had come from sanctioned Iraq. Like, sanctioned Iraq where... You mean you came from Iraq? We came from Iraq. We, we okay. hid out in Jordan for a little while. <laughs> no way. You, and so then, you saw that yeah. side of it as well. Oh, my yeah. God, yeah. I lived in Iraq under Saddam. After the war, and after the first Gulf War ended, uh, uh, sorry, in 92, my... When I was living in Kuwait with my family, and I have to tell the story kind of in chrono order, so because so it makes it. sense, I was living in okay. Kuwait with my family, and I that was where I had kin- I was in kindergarten and all this stuff, and my family, my dad was an entrepreneur, he did really well, and then one year we went to the Philippines to go visit my grandmother, and that was in July, and uh, in July 1990, and we the Gulf War broke out. So I actually didn't see my dad for like two years because we didn't know mm. if he was alive or not. He was actually stuck in he was in, in Kuwait. Kuwait at that time. So. Yeah, and it turns out my dad like ended up knowing the soldiers that came into his house because they had served in the Iraqi army together, and so they didn't kill him, and they um, actually they helped him, you know, do stuff, and he ended up going to Iraq, where he ended up spending the the Gulf like. The, the, two the, the two years there and I ended up staying in the Philippines with my family um, and well that formed my Filipino-ess my Filipinness <laughs> whatever that is <laughs> and then after that when we found out my dad was alive the sanctions had almost I think just been imposed in 92 we went into Iraq because we found out my dad was alive and we're like oh my god wherever you are we're going to be with you and the sentiment at the time was that the war is over and everything is, is mm-hmm. done um, but that actually was the beginning of mm. a deterioration, obviously, that we now know as, like, Iraq. And um, when we were living there, we lived... I lived a very privileged life. I won't ever deny that my father is a hustler <laughs> and managed <laughs> my dad as boss, and he managed to give us a good life in a city that was, I believe, kind of spiraling in some ways, emotionally, post-war you know definitely yeah it's it's hard yeah and we left in 97 so i was there from 92 to 97 and even then when i was there i was always i they always pointed at us and were like oh those are those filipino kids they didn't Mm. ever say oh this is iraqi only my iraqi family would like know or 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 want to want to connect in that way obviously people had a lot more problems than my (laughs) identity like than who i was but i think that you know that was something that i always whatever wherever i was they'd kind of look at you and say well you're not you're not you're not from here you know. So you said at sixteen you wanted to be sixteen you wanted to be Canadian. Yeah. So after we left Iraq, we eventually went to Canada, and when we arrived in Canada, I was a teenager, and you know, teenager like being a teenager, you do want to belong. Like that's a big part of being a teenager, or you're completely yeah. angsty and you don't want to belong, but yeah, you do. Yeah, the, the high school predator yeah. mentality. <laughs> yeah, like exactly. you really got to find your yeah, clique you gotta, somehow. You got to hustle. Did yeah. you ever want to be like at sixteen? Dude, you oh, to be for, somebody? for me it was for us it was hard because I went. I went to Shrifa. Shrifa was either um, either Lebanese kids, uh, Emiratis, or Europeans. And we were a minority. Like, it was a struggle being in that school. I ended up, weirdly enough, connecting with the... I don't know if you guys know what Badoon is. No, I don't know what that is. Badoon are... 
those people who were in the UAE for a very long time but didn't have any citizenship. So they're Bedouin, without. The Bedouin, they literally yeah. call them without. They literally call is them without. Yeah. Bedouin so means Bedouin that I don't, like, with nothing, like, without. So they don't have citizenship, they don't have anything. Um, and there was this little neighborhood next to our school where it's just all Bedouins, and that's where I used to hang out. What did, how, hang out what, with those kids. What was, <laughs> what was Bedouin culture like, like? It's it's very it's Emirati culture. They speak the language. Yeah. Uh, some of them are f- would be from like for example Zanzi origins or really? Yemeni origins. Yeah, and um, did and they really eventually li- get like? Yeah, um, <coughs> I think that wasn't was it. It was a couple of years back. They finally, I forgot what was the island called. They finally the UAE government got this agreement with not some. Not Kish, I- is it? No, 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 not Kish. They got an agreement with some island. Ivor, uh, Oh, okay, so, but so there is a place a Comor- to call yeah. home now. Now they actually, yeah, they got them they citizenship, got papers, yeah. they got papers, cool. they're official, yeah, but back then they were no Bedouin. They were Bedouin. So yeah. they accepted you, no problem? Yeah, because well, he was, was a bit Bedouin I was a Bedouin well. to some degree, I think. <laughs> oh, you're always and, a bit Bedouin, buddy. You're always like, this is, this is how, like, the, the idea of the kind of ways made sense, because that's where I'd hang out. I'd, I'd leave school, I'd go chill by the store there, by the can there. That's cool. And these guys would come, and they just feel like, who was this guy? And at first we... You know, we didn't get along, and after a while, like, a couple of dudes were cool with it, and we kind of kicked it, and it became a thing. And that's what I started doing. Like, days, I'd either skip school, go there. And the thing is that on campus, to kind of prove my presence, was you try to be an MVP. You'd play in every sport. Really? Yeah. Okay. Because it wasn't about being the popular kid. It's about just showcasing dominance to some degree. So you'd... I I was I think the only African dude that played cricket. No way! School, right? So you like like you I like just shot the field. <laughs> You're like I am gonna play all your sports. Pretty and you're much, all gonna you just go me. through the entire <laughs> list of sports they got Among going males. on. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. So it's because I did I I didn't fit in with that clique Click, or the, yeah. the, the different even a university. Like I used to joke about it with a bunch of friends. Is that ADU is a very clicky university. Um, you could tell those are that's the Russian crew. Those are the Persians, you know, those are the Emiratis over there, the Africans are there, and these are the Arabs here. So like it was very every, clicked out by nationality exactly. or, like, by culture. And you see it instantly. As soon as, like, you're on campus, you start to pick up on it. And Where would I go? We had, here's the funny <laughs> thing. <laughs> this is a question. We had the weirdest, <laughs> we were the weirdest group of people. Yeah, because like a motley then, crew. It, exactly, because then there was me, there was, like, let's say, Thabit, who's, like, a... Um, Azanzi Emirati with like with long like dreads, dreadlocks yeah right oh you knew Thabit from uh, I knew Thabit since we were kids oh, like okay. before university um, yeah this other girl Muni who was half Egyptian half Omani another girl who was half Egyptian half Emirati an Iraqi girl who's never been to Iraq she grew up in New Zealand and it was the weirdest mix of yeah. people from different backgrounds that just somehow like, well, okay, you kind good. of you're, it, but it's it's once again like it's the bedouinness. You got yeah, <laughs> exactly the bedouinness of it. You just <laughs> <laughs> gravitate guys, towards yeah, each other. Exactly, <laughs> your bedouinness kind of fig- kicked in. Yeah, it's you know. a cool word actually. Bedouin. Bedouin is an interesting <laughs> word because but it's different from bedouin. No, it's it's, it's different from Bedouin, yeah. Bedouin is different. Yeah. Bedouin. Bedouin is without. Yeah. And, like, it's interesting because when you say without, to me, it gave these guys everything. Like, they say, you guys, yeah. it's your, your nothingness. Yeah, it comes with things. It comes with things. Yeah. yeah. I, I like ownership of things that are, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. negative, and then you're like, well, no, it's great, I'm actually. Yeah, I like that. I like to have a lot of fun with it. You're obviously very influenced by hip hop, right? So, like, what happens? I don't know why this is, but a lot of guys and girls who I meet who grew up here love hip hop. 
This is okay. So this is my theory on it. I wrote um when, when I he's went like, to I Miami. I wrote a thesis on this. I got a thesis <laughs> on this. <laughs> like, I love it. Like, settle down, kids. <laughs> <laughs> on a Saturday. <laughs> I love it. Saturday, I wrote and Jiva gets really tired of it. Every time I was like, "Yo, listen, <laughs> listen to me. How about this?" And I just worked through this theory. He's like, "Let's think about it." Yeah. <laughs> you know? Okay. So what's your so, theory on um, the love idea, of hip hop culture? So the idea to to, to the love of hip hop culture was, um, and actually I'm, I have a talk on this tomorrow. Um, Where? At, at Leo, at the office. Can I, I join? I want to take a video. I, I'll grab. I'll get you a video. Actually, take a video. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or just record it. it. Like definitely. Yeah. Okay. Oh, the cool. mic. The mic is gonna be in there. Okay. Cool. Okay. Cool. Just you know, for visual references. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so the idea is that the way I looked at it was that technically African Americans within themselves are third cultures. Yeah. Fair right? enough. Because okay. for one, you're you, they have lost contact with Africa. They don't know anything about it. And simultaneously, they have zero knowledge, or to some degree, they're not accepted as Americans. Hence, you are an African American, right? Yeah. So they put them in that sphere. Um, comes 1973, 123rd Park, South Bronx, the kickstart and the birth of hip hop as a culture. It became a platform that accepted anybody and everybody. Yes, it did. I right? yeah. And the spread of hip hop was through the through rap music or through any of the elements was an was a voice of empowerment for anybody in the world. So through that empowerment, when you come and look at it in the Middle East, a part of the world that has been through its own struggles for yeah. so long, okay. right? One, it gave voice to the voiceless, yeah. right? The other thing was that for people like us, as Sudanese, we're, considered, we're called Afro-Arabs. Yes, you are. Right? That's right. So Arab people, when you ask them where Sudanese people, they'd always tell you they're African. Yeah. It's only news on TV that would say Sudan is an Arabic country or yeah, part of yeah, the Arab yeah. world. Any other Arab, they would not say that. Yeah, you're right. right. Sudanese people are kind of racist to some degree. They tell you, no, we're Arabs, we're not Africans. But that's a, I think that's part of the like negotiating the exactly. culture. like Because right? what uh, what's an Arab? But here yeah, we right? go. Here yeah. we go. Here we go. That on its own <laughs> it's funny that the third culture issue is built into Sudanese culture. Yeah, it is, It's built it? within the Sudanese people yeah. by default. Yeah, it's like so, systematic. Right? So then... To make matters a bit trickier or a bit more complex is that so then people like us who are Sudanese who grew up at us who grew up away from Sudan, we go back. We're not accepted in a country that in itself is having that problem. Yeah, yeah. Right. So it makes things. So you, very there is a very like what is it called? It's like you feel disempowered. Like exactly. you don't feel connected to right? to. Exactly. So you go. We go back, and it's like they can. Uh, I was joking about it the other day. Like I could dress up in the whole thing, the jalebi, and look. Like I live there, but they smell it. They see it from a distance. <laughs> like you, they can tell you, 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 you do not belong here. What are you doing? Yeah. You know. So, and that's I think the association with hip hop because people felt hip hop accepted them regardless of what yeah. your background is or who you are. But you're talking about Sudanese people. She's also talking yeah, about everybody. I'm, I'm talking well, about everybody. When you come and even look at, you know, people like Palestinians, for example. They're, they're gra- they gravitate towards it strongly, right? But do you think Arabs gravitate to hip-hop because of struggle, whereas Sudanese people gravitate to hip-hop because it's black culture that accepts them? Well, it's funny Both because reasons. even in your statement right now, you separated Arabs and Sudanese. Yeah. Ah. You see, that's exactly what he was saying. It's like an interesting way we look but at I'm it. But I'm also separating it because of the... You don't really... It's, it's not really struggle for you, isn't it? You don't struggle, bro. No. What are you talking? Oh. No, but <laughs> yeah, no, I, when I met Arabs, <laughs> struggle. I, I, I make this distinction because mm-hmm. Arabs, they're fans of the type of hip hop that has struggle in it. Yeah. Yeah. You're talking about Jedi mind tricks, immortal technique, the whole shit. Yeah. 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 Very angsty. Yeah. Very angsty. Yeah. 
So these guys are more into the, the, the jazz, the, jazz the mellow, the new yeah. soul, all these types of things. But, so. but I find that, uh, and maybe this is a huge generalization, but mm. I find that um, there's so much in Af- African culture is such a horrible thing to say because it's like there's so much about, there's <laughs> Africa is yeah. like so, but there what i can see what i what i associate with what you would call sudanese culture is a lot of music yeah. like you have heavily. you are heavily like rhythm rhythm is a part of your the yeah. way even the way you guys speak is rhythmic even you know filipinos always so singing uh, they all got voices and everything listen man. yeah let me tell you about it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they always like, singing and they got the, songs man the one thing that filipinos when they first immigrate to canada like when they first land and they're like oh you know i'm here i'm going to be make a better life for myself Find up for it goes real quiet cuz oh. in philippines you hear music everywhere someone behind the counter singing a song yeah. good voice bad voice doesn't matter yeah. you know music is playing everywhere wow. people are singing it's just cultural is i don't even know i think it's almost like this just i grew up singing and dancing like mm-hmm. that i do not sing for the life of me but i did grow it's up singing there. it's very open it's there anybody can participate karaoke is our national sport <laughs> and like i really think that and i think that people it is so cultural it's so deeply cultural and what's amazing about it is that when they leave they suddenly re- like I hear a lot of my friends say dude it's so quiet mm-hmm. you don't hear music you don't quiet hear where? in Canada they find it quiet they find it quiet because music is relegated to certain areas you can play music here but your lobby should be you know you, there's lobby music and elevator music and kinds of music you play in certain areas mm-hmm. whereas in Philippines Every uh, every minute is a love song minute. <laughs> like you can you can you can belt out a love song right now. It's all good. <laughs> Nobody cares. <laughs> you know, I think I think that's a part of it is that some cultures are like musically inclined or very heavily heavily yeah. musically inclined and others aren't necessarily, you know. Yeah. So I can understand why yeah. you totally gravitate towards like hip hop, you know. Yeah, really. Yeah. Um, so so you're saying when when you went to the to the Philippines, I mean, you had that great experience as a first year oh yeah I was I, yeah I was working in the in the so, um, I was working as support council support so oh did you jump oh yeah how, do, how does one jump um, the well, I went to law school and most people go to law school to save someone to be some people go to law school to make money, right? But what you'll quickly, quickly find is that it takes a really long time to make a heck of a lot of money in law school. You're better off being a banker or, or something else. And a lot of people that I knew wanted to be an advocate, wanted to have a voice, or wanted the respect that lawyers get because your mom told you you got to be a lawyer and okay. you got to, no you know. Way. Yeah. But what's really interesting, I wanted to be an advocate because I always lived with people, maybe being third culture, maybe mm. being Iraqi, maybe having lived through sanctions, maybe all of these things. And I lived in a very, my home, my, my, uh, my parents' relationship was very violent, like extremely violent. Um, so I wanted to be a voice. I needed voice. I needed to be heard. Um, and so in, I thought... In the male-female space... You mean my parents? No, like or in a, life. In life, an advocate for male-female relations. I or? wanted to be an advocate for people who didn't have a voice. It was a very weird thing, and I didn't understand really what that meant. But I felt like I I have words. I am articulate. I love le- language and literature, and I felt like I could use that for something. Um, and I always loved to talk, so people would always kind of. You know, they usually be a lawyer. They'd say these things, you know, and you're like, okay, well, I think that's a great idea. (laughs) But then I think what ended up happening was 
I looked up, I always, I'm the kind of person who loves having a mentor. And mm. I would look up to the people in my law school. And let me tell you, they, the higher up you go in the Canadian legal society, it gets whiter and maler <laughs> as the higher up you go. Mm. So there are fewer female partners. There are fewer female partners of color. There are a few more female partners of color that have been in the industry for 25 or 30 years. Mm. So you have to find heroes, and I couldn't find a hero. It was a, it was a, you were it was a, for someone more like you? To look up to. Uh, maybe, maybe like me or somebody whose path I could, uh, I could follow in. And uh, I realized then I would get to work, and I was horribly depressed. Like, really? it was a very, I didn't even know what kind of, I didn't even know I was depressed at the time. But... I I was I was doing different kinds of work. I, I ended up working at a law firm here, and I would get to work, and I cannot even tell you the sadness that hung in my heart. When I was in such a privileged place, there were people who were dying to get into the law school that I'd gotten into. I went I went to a very, obviously I got in by the skin of my teeth as usual. Like mm. obviously I grazed in, and I in and speaking of owning yourself, like what we said earlier. I always felt like I never belonged in law school, even though it was a dream I had worked for for so long. So I, I, I got there, and the first day of school, they come to you, and they sit you in a room with all the law students, and the dean of the university, it's a, it's a big deal for him to come and speak. And I remember his first words that caused me discomfort for the rest of the four years I was there. He said, you are Canada's finest. And I didn't feel like Canada's mm. finest. I didn't think I was Canada's finest. You didn't think you were Canadian. I didn't even know if I was Canadian enough. <laughs> and so <laughs> I was like so conflicted. And it was really internal conflict because I could have, you know, it was all internal conflict. And that really, uh, you know, stayed with me for quite a while. When I ended up getting a job and being in a firm, I was so unhappy at my job. And I was so unhappy with the way that it was structured and the sadness in the office that I could feel. Maybe I was projecting, maybe everybody was happy and I was just sad. Mm. I don't know. But then I quickly realized people, I, I began to do, I began to look at intellectual property, do all kinds of work. And I realized I wanted to be in a creative space again because I'd lost the part of me that wrote creatively, that was around artists, that was around the higher up you go, it, it really felt like I'd lost those friends that I really loved. And I was a, I was a kid when I was, um, when I was 16, my parents got divorced and I, I was basically raised by the streets of Toronto. Like I would be in artist sessions, we'd be, you know, dancing. How old were you? I was 16 when we first arrived, when we, I was 15 when we arrived in Toronto, by the time we were 16, when I was 16, I, um, my parents got divorced wow. and that was a very violent time in anyone's life it is i think yeah, but because yeah the separation was new very place. absolutely and we were um we were new to the country and so it was a very uh, jarring situation but what it gave me was freedom to go out into the world and get a job because a lot of arab girls that i even my cousins don't actually go out and seek a job, you know, the part of the, yes, Arab, culture the Arab culture is to, you know, your father will take care of you and yeah. then your husband will take care of you. And yeah. I was absolutely not allowed to have that because I needed to work. My dad had left and we needed to make money. And my brother, who now is 19 at the time, was uh, three years old. 
So you You're know, the eldest in the family. I am the eldest, yeah, and I think I really adopted that role. I was not. I I really took that to heart. Like I took it as a privilege that I could take care of my family, and mm. that you know, um, and my mom, God bless her heart, was really emotionally shattered. She was going through a war, you know, and of course, uh, we it, part of that was that we barely. So we went from being like you know pretty. My dad was always a brilliant entrepreneur a really good you know um he always took care of us to having literally nothing so we i you know in we i had to go find an apartment and obviously i told my mom go in and lie and say that you have a job and <laughs> we just need to find a place to stay and we we lived i and i think that's maybe why i loved hip hop culture was because i actually felt like i lived in a ghetto like i actually could understand everything that they, yeah yeah, yeah. and um, I, w I look back at those times as some of the toughest times in my life, but I also uh, formed my best friendships and people who really would, they say we ride and die, like we would yeah. ride and die together because sometimes you felt like you would, you know, that's mm. really what you had to do. Um, but obviously part of my, the next part of my life, like many people, was I was told this statistic by one of my teachers, which was there are so, you once you once you are in a class like a system like if you're middle class mm -hmm. upper class or lower class you the odds of you actually breaking through that class barrier is very 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 low yeah and so my for some reason the stupid statistic stuck with me and i just said i have to break out of this poverty mm. and i realized the poverty wasn't actually money it was emotional poverty like we were living in a violent home so obviously we didn't have uh, t you know, we didn't know how to express love to each other. That's richness. Like that's what life is is really, really, really about. And when you lose art and you lose that in your life, I think you also lose a part of that um, richness. So that to take it back, I, I went a long way around yeah. to say I decided to leave the law and go towards filmmaking and production was because I'd lost that part in my life that was that spoke art. And that's not to say there aren't lawyers who marry that part, mm. but I couldn't for whatever whatever inability. I, I don't understand it, but I needed to focus and I needed to succeed and I couldn't do it in that environment. I just couldn't be there. And uh, I really connected to that, the monk who, who sold his Ferrari, that lawyer who just mm. kind of one day, uh, you know, he writes about this lawyer who one day just ups and goes and, and, and finds his world because he had a heart attack. At the end of the road for a lot of my um, heroes in law, in the legal industry, was a lot of health issues <laughs> and a lot of, you know, their wives were unhappy. Uh, there was a lot of sadness. But that's not fair to say it about the whole industry. Mm. It's, it was the industry that I saw. So it's not fair. And it, it's the way you I saw, saw it in my time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, and I, I got that really. And I think that uh, maybe it's not. Maybe it's not so much the legal industry, but corporate. I think corporate makes that-ness, mm. that sadness, that emptiness. But talking about artists, I noticed in the, in the back room over there, there's a lot of like motivational kind of pictures. And <laughs> yeah. Of so is that like why you, because even that, that ties in well with your blog posts and stuff. Your yeah. blog posts are a lot about courage and life lessons and like... Similar stories to the monk who stole his Ferrari kind of thing. Yeah, I really connect deeply to that because I think that those are the stories that people bring to me. I'm the weird, I've, I've always been this way. It's the weirdest thing. But since I was younger, if 
I would sit next to someone on the bus and they'd tell me something, like something really intimate. Not yeah. not in a weird way, but like some Report. guy would, like, well, for example, we'd, I'd be sitting down with my mom and one guy would turn to me and he's like, my wife left me today. Mm. And maybe because I was so small and so, you know, he just kind of say this thing. And I'd be like, what, what is that? You know, I'd, I'd have a conversation with, with people. I, I think people also do kind of open up because I don't I try to live a non-judgmental life yeah. which is a very cliche thing to say but a very hard thing to it's do it's hard to do very. it's very hard to do because you need judgment you need it um, and maybe what it is is that I'll I'll have a moment of judgment and then a moment of total acceptance yeah like it, that's for you and I respect that and I think that that's cool that yeah. you live in the in, that this is your world um, and I think we don't have that we Being don't able to step back from that real quick is good. Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, the motiv- motivation, like what it is, uh, I've, I've, I've been dealt a life with many, many challenges. Mm-hmm. And so motivationally, I'm always inspired by the times where I was able to pick myself up and see the people around me rise as well. Mm-hmm. Because... Uh, with girl Iraqi girls who lived in you know Saddam's Saddam era Iraq don't end up in Canadian law schools mm. and most importantly they don't end up leaving the legal industry and most importantly they often don't end up starting their own businesses like yeah. the trajectory of my life as prescribed by whatever statistics you were not meant to be I wasn't meant yes exactly <laughs> I wasn't meant to be and so I'm uh, when I say that there are days when I'm completely ungrateful <laughs> and I'm just like it oh, should have been better today was such a shitty day but you then, can't do you have survivor's guilt I do I have extreme copious amounts of survivors. I have enough survivor's guilt for all the survivors. <laughs> so when, you, when you're when yeah. you becoming a lawyer with survivor's guilt. I think yeah. that's a very good way to put it. I do. And I, I actually embrace that. I, I could embrace that. Um, I felt like I needed to work for Iraq, Iraq or whatever, or, or the struggle. Everybody yeah. like you. Uh, yeah, or everyone like me. And my mom came from... My mom came from, a sh- she lived in a shack when she was growing up, literally like candles in a shack, and somehow she made it out as well. So I guess statistically that statistic was kind of bullshit, but I couldn't see that till much later. Oh. But but that was it, maybe it is that we speak. I, I, um, I am very proud to represent, you know, people and things, but that's the negative side of it, is that yeah. when you represent that, you also represent... The, the fact that you are privileged and that you are, you know. There's, a, there's something even I've been wrestling with. It's like um, uh, when you have things like survivor's guilt and these needs to serve, right? When you're not serving, when you're not able to serve, yeah, yeah. what does that make you feel? Oh, it makes you feel selfish. That's the we we our culture. When I say our culture, I mean Arab culture or even Filipino culture. Shame based. It's shame based. Yeah. So you uh, do something for yourself, and shouldn't you be giving? There are so many starving people. Yes. Shouldn't you be contributing? Yes. There are some, but there is a um, there is a really wonderful space. I think that I haven't been able to completely embrace yet, which is I'm good enough for this. Like it's for me okay. and for nobody else, you know. Okay. And I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm working on that, but I'm really struggling with it. It's tricky to do that. It's isn't it? so I'm really struggling with that. Because think about it, if you're like, uh, I need to serve, or else I am not doing my job. I am not enough. I will therefore not receive love. Blah blah blah. If you start telling yourself, No, I am enough. I, I am worthy of love, etc., etc. Then what is your drive to improve 
X Y Z. When your drive to improve has been these these reasons, I feel. Yeah. yeah, it has. So it's like you're tied with this need to serve in order to grow. To keep going. Your yeah. your sense die. of worth, your yeah. sense of worth and growth. um has become tied to like needing to serve exactly. and i think that many of my friends who come from what we've decided to call them shame based culture <laughs> now are shame based cultures yeah. the the truth is that you know the funny thing is i uh, i why why else would someone like me whose parents have worked their entire lives and sacrificed everything they have to leave poverty why the hell am i going back into <laughs> like why would i go back into this one impoverished place to help the most impoverished girls you it, it logically right it makes sense you mm. were privileged you They got survived out. to get you, you survived out. so you have to you have to give back somehow yeah. oh i gave back like i'm a proper a type personality yeah. i like totally left went into the to proper ghetto and like basically did some of the most dangerous legal work you can do now It wasn't necessary, but in my heart I felt it like was it was necessary because I was so guilty. I really was that survivor's guilt, that that guilt that overwhelms you mm. and makes you feel unworthy. Cuz mm. intertwined with survivor's guilt mm. is you are unworthy. Constantly. And constantly unworthy. And how do I teach I don't even know how to teach worthiness cuz I that's probably why all this motivational stuff is such a big deal in well, my life. Well, okay, so that's the thing like uh, um I'm trying to figure out unworthy to whom? unworthy to the parents unworthy to the spiritual whatever creator idea unworthy to unworthy to society i think it's more society because i'm i do care about what society thinks mm. i i am fine with that like i do care about what society thinks of each other and of myself but i don't let it dictate what what i not as much anymore but when i was younger obviously if you care about society then you everything. it dictates what you do mm-hmm. and also it was my parents as well my my mom always revered and took pride and and valued people who did charity work and who gave back mm-hmm. so even until this day my mom still takes care of her family even though back they're home. completely grown up self-sufficient com- completely capable she still does that and i love her for it i think that that's what great people do she's committed mm. <laughs> to but if you took that away from her if i said you actually don't need to send money home anymore my i think my mom would lose a part of her identity this is the, the provider yeah. the, you know this is the thing. and i think part of my identity is very much intertwined into it's like that givingness um i think i have to work on changing does it, it have that's what i'm saying does it have to change i think it has to be tempered I think it has to be tempered. What's I think it's a very good trait. If it's not you know? tempered, what's the fallout? Well, the if if it's not tempered and I just completely eliminate it, you mean? Or is it if I just continue to give give give? Yeah, if you continue to give give. give. I think that what ends up happening is you emotionally burn out. And many people experience this emotional burnout, this sense of, well, now I'm in so deep, I have to give up. Have to, I have now you're to. Obligated. You're obligated. And is it really Is it really is it what I want to do? Yeah. I'm personally not happy. Yeah. I'm doing it because it makes other people happy. Yeah. I should But be happy. But it's nothing for you. Yeah. And well, I'm nowhere really. I think that <laughs> yeah, you're you got to find that yeah, yeah. you got to find that balance you for gotta, yourself. And you've also got to find that sense of understanding that you have like as once again yet another cliche, charity does begin at home and home is you. Like home is not your home, your space. Home is you, like in you. You know, and um There are things that I think our society should do a little more like talk to themselves a bit more. <laughs> you know, I think we got to talk to ourselves a bit more. We don't, you know, or like really um sit and journal and spend time with ourselves. 
a lot of a lot of social media and my phone actually prevents me from being alone. True. Yeah, because the damn thing you're looking at, yeah. you're getting text in- information in your damn brain yeah. of what. And I am the first advocate. I want all the information. <laughs> like, I love yeah, you, my dope. phone. I love having all the... I like that something happened in New York City and, and in 15 seconds, I'm there. You yeah. know, I'm, I love that. But I can see it's... I, I can really feel its effects because I cannot disconnect. Yeah, because the, like, there'll be those epiphanies you can have. Yeah. But then you chose to pick up a phone. Yeah. Oh, totally. You know and I mean? and there are moments where you're like this would be a beautiful creative and then you're just like Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this would be amazing but uh. yeah, yeah. You know that's what I started doing like yeah. my 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 long drive my long drives to Abu Dhabi. Mm. It's usually I'd, I'm listening to a podcast or music yeah. or I'm listening to something. And then I and because I realized and there's one of those days where I just realized the only time I actually have to myself silence. That's it. With complete silence is there. Yeah, so, so give I, it to yourself. Mm. I stopped listening to anything while I drive. Yeah. Now I'm like, like, yeah, like you. Just because that's the only time I can sit with my thoughts, and you start remembering I should have been doing X, Y, and Z, and like all these things start popping up. And but you got to give yourself enough time for those things to go away, and then really yeah. be with you. Which is you why know? that two-hour yeah. drives. Oh man. Yeah, it's heavenly. Yeah. It's oh. like you can't force the solution. No. You no. can try. Like today, I was trying to force a solution. I gave it a shot. My mind's different. But I remember there was a time I could master my solution process. But then with all these distractions, you're losing the skill. You lose that. You lose you that do. focus. Not cool. But that that's an interesting thing is like when they teach me like I'm I don't meditate as much as I should but one of the things is that you have to actually learn to just be still like and when I say still it's like a stillness like mm. just accept the nowness of everything that's it you know mm. uh, the way your skin feels the way your hair feels the way whatever's and it's all just good right now um, I think that teaching that peacefulness or that stillness I wish that somebody had given that gift to me when I was five mm. because I would have loved it and I would have taken it with me, you know. Mm. Um, and I think that's something that we... I feel there's a movement that's reconnecting to it. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. mean, I, when I say the word stillness, people know what I'm talking now about. Now everybody yeah. knows, exactly. You know. They call it waking up now, right? That's yeah. the mainstream yeah. term. Yeah. I mean, there's... there's um, I mean, like, there's even alternative styles of education where they incorporate yoga and meditation into the, like, the kids' lifestyle from the beginning so that that's what you need it's i think it's what we all need and i i mean maybe this whole i don't know if yoga or meditation is for everybody i can't say but what i can definitely say is like i've been taught to you know uh, artists are taught to like dancers when i was dancing we were taught to journal uh morning minutes which is just like clean your head of everything and put it all on paper in the morning because those are the purest cleanest dirtiest mm, <laughs> you know mm. thoughts you put them all away and now you can be creative because creative is almost like a, a mind space to mm. be in you know it's the, the tools are there it's just yeah I like that. yeah they're not bringing the tools to us we have to go and find the tools yeah. you won't only you won't search for the tools till you have an accident <laughs> yeah, you know. i mean there's things like journal therapy writing yeah. therapy it yeah. exists it's yeah. real you know yeah. what i mean so what you're doing is part of it a journaling Thera- therapy tradition that actually you know so and you, what's interesting is that you know um i'm now kind of in my journaling i'm exploring this idea of a consciousness before me like what if all of these things that i f- no not what if some days i feel wiser than i'm sure my 20 no oh, i'm 32 my 32 years <laughs> my 32 years have i feel 
wiser than 32 mm -hmm. and i why by wiser i mean like i am maybe maybe this is just 32 maybe mm -hmm. i'm as wise as i need to be but there are days when i have this deep sense of knowing about something and mm -hmm. i wonder if this was a consciousness inherited from people before me like energies before nice. me do you get what yeah. i mean like Ooh, there's a theory that genetically it does yeah maybe i can't i don't even know i'm i'm so uh uh i'm so new to this thought like mm. i just had i just had this thought recently mm. and usually when i have a thought i just like kind of journal it out and something happens maybe i i make a dance out of it maybe i make a write something out of it but the, or maybe sometimes i film something out of it whatever but the truth is that i'm playing with this idea now and i love this idea that if in fact uh I, what what I'm what this deep knowing that I have sometimes like you just know something so deeply um, when I know this if I was inherited or if I got it from the energy before me or people before me then I should be f***ing kinder to the people around me because <laughs> we're about to pass the sh** on and I don't want to yeah. I don't want to give them you well, know give me an dumbness. example of something you know I deeply, deeply know yeah. okay uh, funny thing like not a funny thing like um, sometimes when my when my you know my team has a, an argument you know there's a deep stillness in me that says don't get involved this will play out and it's a weird thing because i've never ran my business before the way it exists right now with so many personalities in a creative space and you have to be intuitive when you're working with creative people or else you're going to completely suffocate them and knowing when to come in and out of conversations knowing when to push and when not to push it, I don't have the life experience on paper to make those wise choices. But I've seen myself sit back, say, and then just say, we're not going to do anything. We're going to wait. And then strike when I need to strike. I like how you said, we're not going to do We are not. We, the collective <laughs> we, are <laughs> not cool. going to do anything. <laughs> and, I, and I find that very interesting because um, that's a new thought to me. And it makes you feel less alone because I think... Um, I'm sure, like I've I've people close to me right now are dealing with cancer and different things and so I feel like I feel a bit alone sometimes because really at the end of the day they're going to pass one day and we're all going to die mm -hmm. one day and so w what is this what the fuck is this all about <laughs> you know and I when I think about okay maybe that's what legacy is maybe that deep thing that I've inherited you know, maybe that's what legacy is. You've thought about death in its in its in a non-morbid sense, yeah. I do. I th I'm I I have a comfort about death. Right. I do, but that's because I feel like I've lived a lot. You've lived a lot. I've lived a lot of things, and I've I feel like I uh, I've been through a lot. I've seen a lot. I don't feel that, um, and I I, I I really like I mean this honestly. If something, if I were to pass right now. I'd feel like, okay, cool, you we we, we did it, you, you know? Uh, and that sense only came to me recently. Like, a woman in her 20s is a, is going insane. Like, she's got to let you know. <laughs> my 30s calms, <laughs> kept, have, like, uh, <laughs> calmed, the, calmed the seas. <laughs> well, Oti, like, with your uh, kidney mm -hmm. uh, issues, you thought about death and stuff? Do you oh, think about that? Constantly. How do you, what's so your feeling about I that? Came I mean, I'm, I'm pretty content about it. Yeah. Because the other thing is that I came from a household where my parents did not sugarcoat anything. They're very blunt and very direct with everything. So it's, it's not like, oh, there's a Santa or there's a tooth fairy or anything like that. They're like, that shit is not existing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even. You can cry about it today. 
Like, just let none of it exist. <laughs> it's bad you know? for you. Exactly. Uh, like straight up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like, like right for the jugular. Yeah. The jugular. They do not. They don't sweat it. And um, one of the things I've been hearing for a very long time since I was a kid is the topic of death. Yeah. And it's because, you know, my dad's always on that, okay, you know, when I'm gone, I got to leave something for you guys. Or, you know, when they travel on vacations, let's say, and I had exams or something and I couldn't travel along. My parents would like rewrite a will just in case for that trip, and they'd be like, "Oh, I owe X Y Z people money," or there's some <laughs> yeah. yeah, in case something happens, they're like this this envelope. So it was something that has been addressed for a very long time. For me, not until my first transplant in 2010. Yeah, I think 2010 was the rebirth of mark you. for me. Yeah, up until then, I was just that lost kid for yeah. so many reasons. Um, but then the transplant because. After the surgery, things weren't well, and then after that, I had a rejection, and it was a snowball effect of problems after that. It was that summer where, you know, my grandmother passed away that year, um, another cousin of mine fell sick, and it was just like... We the, had yeah, one, it, it's like pouring. Yeah, yeah everything it's was like just mad pouring. going downhill, and with my rejection, I ended up catching... Um, I had to get extremely immunosuppressed at Really, that time. yeah. And I think one of the nurses was just careless enough to walk in with the sniffles. And ideally, I mean, if somebody around me today has got a flu, I'd be fine. Yeah. But at that time, I got, like, zero immune system. Oh, man. And I caught that. Lungs crashed. Wake up a few days later in the ICU. And, you know, we were, it's just that whole process all in all. And coming That's out so from insane. that. That's so insane. And coming out from that on the other end. It's looking back at it at hindsight. Like, that's what was like a kickstarter for me to get so much done i came back that year to university and like i did so many things you're just like fierce yeah yeah i just like went full speed ahead and now it just it's the exact same thing where it's just the idea of death i like it's welcoming i'm it's it's very welcoming i'm i'm happy with it then with the, com- the, the, the next surgery now what do you feel like with the next one, weirdly enough, I'm pretty optimistic. Like you should be. I was talking to I was talking to a friend the other day, and they're like, "Dude, like anybody else would be panicking in your place." I'm like, "I don't have time to panic." No, no. I'm like, one, I'm actually, I'm, I'm okay about it. Two, I got no time to because there's all the stuff on the, the yeah. con that need to happen. I gotta get finalized websites, press releases, like. All these there's a world of things I'm to like, do. Yeah, yeah. Like, but I no also think that panic. you've what you've done inherently is you've set yourself up for a life after the transplant. Yeah. So I think it's not like I, I'm what I what how I know That's you know what I mean. Point. Like I think that there's there is a fighter spirit in in some people. And if you're if you were like okay, well I'm gonna not start something. I'm gonna wait to see how this transplant goes. Yeah. Then you're not setting yourself mm. up for a life after it. Like yeah, it's no. kind of. Sometimes I think you just gotta kind of see things as well. I gotta get this out of the way, but I'll be I'll be back. Yeah. Like, so I'm like, you know, when me, you told like me I'm about it, that's what you said. Yeah. Like, I gotta do this thing. And, I, and it's what I kept telling the guys, like every day, I was like, okay, listen. So this is what we we have going on. We gotta update this. We gotta update. We gotta get ready. And you know, I'm gonna be gone for ten days. I'm in my kids. Ideally, I'm in a bubble for a couple of months. But the first ten days, ten days are, are usually, really yeah the the hardest. So I'm like. During those, during those 10 days, you got to do everything that I've been doing. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, like, dropping this load <laughs> on Jibba. You guys ready? <laughs> for us. He's like, no, man, we're not ready. This thing's going to come crashing down. Don't worry. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, like, 
here you go take it all you know so like just give me those 10 days after that i'm ready full force i'll be there as long as you can kind of get on a laptop you're kind of that's all i need i'm like you know give me your wi-fi and and a computer and we're good but so what when you were in the icu did you dream of anything like or was it like you closed your eyes and you woke up and you were in the icu do you have a dream or like really so i'm the i'm one of those which I'm actually working on t- fixing up. And actually, Jibba got me on some meditation that helped. Um, I don't, I don't, I tend to not remember my dreams. I don't either. Right? So apparently it's good that you should be remembering them. So oh. meditation helps. So screwed, bro. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was one of the times I actually, till this day, remember them. Because what happened was, at that incident, um, my lungs stopped working. Yeah, yeah. Right? I wake up in the ICU with a mask on my face and a machine that is replicating the functions of a lung. You can remember its sounds? I yeah, like I can I can still hear the it's, it's shooting air and sucking air out of my lungs and doing Crazy. the work for me. Um and during that time I remember there were certain moments where I'd wake up and fall back asleep where it was just nurses and doctors around yeah. me trying to figure out what's wrong. Um when I just went under for a while the what I tell people, or at least what I told my mom then, was that I don't know what it was, but it was the fastest roller coaster ride I've been on. Really? You felt movement? Incredible. I was lying in a, on a bed. There was no movement. Yeah, yeah. But in my head, it wasn't still. It was like it moving. could not. It, w- it could not stop. It did could they? Not did they give you? Med- they obviously gave you pain meds. Yeah, and I was everything. highly medicated. Um, but during that time, constantly, every time I'd fall back asleep, even after that, it's. I'm I'm just like it's it's a roller coaster ride through space that is just very fast. And not until I left that it's like gradually started slowing down, but it was always the same dynamic, the same uh dream, the same movement. It was it was the same thing every time. That's so cool. Which was really weird for the long like which I, I until this day I didn't get it, but eventually it kind of slowed down and yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, it just it stopped. But that's what it always was like that ICU that's what that's what I remember so that's what marked it wow yeah. madness madness so yeah I can look I can totally see how you that how death becomes you right <laughs> you know what I mean so you're like it's just mm, like it's you know I, you, if you feel like you've had love I, I and I know that yet again that sounds so cliche man but I feel like if you've experienced love yeah. uh, you can you know you can find the way you're like okay well i got i got this i i figured out you know i i'm always fascinated as a maybe as a tangential thought i'm fascinated about how we look outwards for things that we should actually like everything you've got is at home like home in you in you 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 know i mean you yeah and so um that's something i I like that you're calling it home i do call it home because i i you know i'm iraqi filipino canadian i don't have like home home, home. so (laughs) i might it's my home so i gotta make home me you know so i'm always comfortable and i'm always home and maybe that's part of the third culture kidness of it all right okay yeah interesting interesting that's why i like this home yeah it, it is home so i mean like on top of all we've discussed, you've also like really into the female entrepreneurship thing, and like, oh yeah, I noticed like you want to get more involved. Or you're already very involved in the female entrepreneurship thing, so I mean like kind of based on your history, again, it's kind of like giving back, right? It is because of the surviving, surviving. Survi- my survivor's to, guilt yeah. kicked survivor's in in full guilt. force. Um, I think that the maybe the funny thing about female entrepreneurship, and I say this about women in business, you know. Um, there are there are there are more of us now, but 
I, I, I really want to see my, my sister, for example, was one of 30 women in her IT program, mm. you know, and, uh, you know, my business partner, Polly started the business here in Dubai and she has had this business for 16 years. Um, it, it's lovely to see women in business because it's important to me to have that voice in business. And I think that there's a lot of places in the Arab world where women, women's voices still have a long way to go. But in business, you can shape and change. I think the future of the Arab world is all going to be inherited by the female entrepreneurs. Why? You know, Because mm-hmm. you are, you, by virtue of starting the business, you have to make decisions. You have to lead. You have to drive business. And I believe that there's an energy to business. That's part of something that I, I'm, I'm, I explore all the time. I believe that there's an energy to good business. And just like in life, it's got karma. Mm. <laughs> and mm. good karma stays. And if you allow uh, a good open space for business to flow through, it will. And I believe that there, there, I've met the most remarkable women who just didn't feel they were good enough, smart enough, whatever enough. And so the female entrepreneurship thing is a big deal for me. Um, owning it is very interesting because the moment you say, oh, women in business, people kind of glaze over. They like their eyes. They don't really care. But it's so important. <coughs> it's so important to, sh- to have businesses that are shaped by 50% of the population, you know, right. that speak to 50% of the population. So you're saying it's a... Yeah, because I was, I was kind of wondering um, why... I mean, I get it. There's not enough female um, leaders in business. So that, that's, that's clear, right? But sometimes I find like there's not enough uh, push for male guardianship or mentorship. There isn't. Right? I agree with you. Because like I compared your drive with even this other concept I've seen called the, the, the Rock Camp for Girls. Yeah. Started by Zara, so very cool yeah, person. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's amazing, right? But then I was like also thinking it's an assumption that there's men <clears throat> men understand how to do the whole music thing and all this. But there's no mentorship there's for mentorship, men just yeah. as much as there's no leadership yeah. for men. There's because in the in the in the patriarchy, right? The man will then any anybody that's trying to come up is a threat. Well, what's very interesting, and I yes, because they stand to benefit from the st- they being you know I, I I always hesitate because I'm surrounded by the most remarkable men, mm. you know. But that's because I've chosen to surround myself. Right, right. I've I've you you've met my team. They're the most you know. I don't think they see gender. I don't mm. not, not unless they're you know that not unless it's like. An intimate relationship in our business. I don't think they see me as a woman. I don't think that's anything that matters. It's just can you do the job, do yeah. it really fucking better than anybody else. But what's fascinating to me is that you're right. The mentorship issue. I don't know if it's here or it's everywhere. But I built my business here, so I can speak for here. Mm. Um, we lack mentors, and without mentorship, what ends up happening is you almost start over every time. Every yeah. hurdle, every yeah. obstacle, you you're, 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 yeah, you're living. And if we had this collective consciousness that I was talking about earlier, then, you know, I guess everything would be solved. But mentorship, the value of it. My mentors are, you know, I obviously, Barry, is, Barry Kirsch is one of my mentors. He's, you know, and Paul Lee, who is my partner, she's one of my mentors. Um, what's important is also us now as the, the leaders, you know, in business, reaching out and saying, I will mentor you. Yeah. That's something I've built into my business, actually. We have a team of juniors that we are mentoring right now. Mm. And their mandate, we've given them a mandate and a mission is to become the best in the industry. 
not here but internationally and that's a very tall order yeah, but yeah. it but we tell them you've got to be better than us and you've got to do it's not award-winning work you've got to do brilliant work because mm. <laughs> awards don't necessarily dictate yeah, brilliance, the brilliance yeah. you know but you need you, it needs to move people it's got to shake them to their core in some way you know um, and yeah, that's a part of what I believe in. I do believe that there's a lack of mentorship and I believe mm. that there's a need for people to stand up and say, I will mentor you, you know? Yeah. And then the question comes up, who am I to be a mentor? Right. <laughs> this is the other yeah. thing, right? Going back to what we started with, who yeah. am I to mentor anybody? You know, yeah. uh, the truth is that you just got to start somewhere. You know, it's either you, you offer or somebody comes up to you. It's like a chicken and egg. Do, it is a chicken and egg know, situation. Because who, who does, it? Does, yeah. it? does a person come up and ask you or do you offer? You know? I think usually what it is, for me especially, people do come up and ask me. They've asked me a few times. And sometimes I've said yes and sometimes I've said no. Um, but the few times I've said yes, uh, what's been great about it is they actually feel like, okay, well, you know, we come to a very amicable, mm. I, you know, I'll call you if I need you. What's the deciding factor between who saying, I choose and yeah. who I wouldn't? Um, you well, it's uh, gender irrelevant. Mm -hmm. uh, it, so I I will mentor somebody who is so um, almost insanely passionate, like like quirky and passionate, and um, I will take somebody on who will sit there and tell me I don't care what the odds are, because I'll usually end up saying, well, you know. This industry is a tough one. The market's looking like crap, blah, blah, blah. And I tell them all these things to yeah. see where whether they'll be shaken. And someone who just knows deeply that this is what they want to do, I don't think they care that the market's no. bad, that the agencies are, you know, tough, that it's really difficult. You probably won't do the most creative work in the world, but, you're, you know, they just want to do work. And I think that's something that was always, you know, I was always really attracted to because I'm like that. I'm, I'm, you know, I'll make something even if you... If I wasn't doing anything, I'd still make something, yeah. you know. Mm. So I think that's part of part of that. Men and mentorship, uh, at its heart, is about somebody saying, "I want to learn, f like I want to grow from you." Yeah, and that's a privilege. I think I've encountered a lot of people who say stuff like um, they don't take advice from. Uh, like teachers and stuff because they feel that the teacher would advise them wrong and the moment they get as good as the teacher the teacher would uh, yeah I've yeah. heard people talk about I this. totally and that's a fair and that's sense. a fair concern but I've never like this is a bit of a cra that means nobody's gonna get guidance or <laughs> yeah. no because like I think crazy. that's the um, that's the ego speaking yeah it's an it's someone's ego speaking right mm. and I think that for me everybody on my team has to become better than me and um it, yeah. it, that's a very tough thing to, to say accept to well. accept but it's also a very great thing to accept because that energy that you feel in the room and the space when they're creating something out of sheer love and passion is addictive that's a like so what a beautiful drug you know what i yeah. mean what a remarkable drug and that's something that i i uh, it, once you've tasted that okay you'll You're never good. you'll never be able to you Every project, you're striving for that energy. That feeling. That feeling. And, yeah, I, and I think that that's only made in places where you're going to say, get your wings, fly. If you fall, I don't know if I'll catch you, but, hey, let's let's give this a go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Let's give this a run. Because remember, we, um, we, we spoke about it in a previous episode. We were talking about the new generation of, of hip-hop artists trying to 
they're not looking up to the OGs and just moving them out of the way yeah. and not wanting to listen to what they had to say. But in reality, it's if you actually sat down and listened to what stories they had to share with you, you would have avoided going through a lot the of path the and a lot of the problems and the obstacles that they faced. I think it's also a mark of youth. You know what I mean? I mean, uh, we can say that about almost any industry, mm. you know, not just necessarily the, you know, the youth in hip hop. But the thing about the young guys in hip, like who are in, who are in hip hop music right now, and this is something that I feel about my industry in Dubai, your legends are alive. Exactly. Like you can go and you can watch Africa Bambata today and you can see him. Yeah. It's not like jazz. <laughs> where like going, yeah. long gone history set long before you so this is why I feel like maybe they don't feel like their legends are legendary mm. enough you know yeah. and they've also been impacted by empires like Jay-Z you know mm. the way he built a business so massive I can't even begin everything you touch in New York may have his hands on it in some way anything in hip hop culture I mean yeah uh, the different that that's a very difficult thing to negotiate with when you're a kid, when you're a young you know and you you want to be the next Jay Z you don't want to listen to Jay Z yeah. you don't want to listen like you want to be the next one and and the problem is you're you're also drinking their Kool Aid, so it, 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 I think it's very complex I don't even know I don't think I've that thought was too clear but for me it's 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 systematic the the problem is probably systematic right you. That the the true history of hip hop, the one that I grew up understanding, which was seventy three mm-hmm. in the streets, you know, um, and really derived from so many different styles of like dance and that history needs to be told in different ways because the young generation probably doesn't have access to it in the way that they need to, mm. unless you're a hip hop head. Yeah. Like unless you're a head, then you're you know you're really to it yeah, but it's mainstream it now. Yeah, so you're asking mainstream culture. To connect to its deepest, deepest, deepest roots, but that's not what mainstream does. No. It's not what it does. It never, not, you know, not, that's not, not what it's, it's meant about. to do. No. So, you know, for me, the in more interesting pop culture is more interesting to me because pop had like mm-hmm. pop, like pop culture is well, maybe maybe it's not that interesting. It's exactly the same. <laughs> um, you know, the the its deepest, darkest roots will never be put in the light by mainstream because mainstream is a superficial light. And that maybe that's something we need to embrace because we know it's history and we know, you know, uh, you, we just need to embrace it. Maybe we didn't tell stories interesting enough. Maybe. Maybe, maybe it's us. That's maybe, what it is. Maybe we didn't tell stories interesting enough. Gotta rework you know? the stories. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay, the last thing I actually kind of, I was just thinking, um, there was a blog post you had, it was about courage. Oh, yes. Which one? Uh, it's, it's this one about there's uh, more than one there's more there's most, a lot of I, I write a lot about courage Why? because I don't have a lot of courage really? if, if you look at my life from the outside people think I'm really courageous you know um, and I am I guess because I'll do things um, that maybe many people wouldn't necessarily do I'll take big risks I will take big risks because I learned really early on that you can go from having everything to having nothing very, very fast. And before you know it, you're looking for an apartment for your mom. <laughs> and, you know. Um, but courage, my love, is something I tell myself all the time. Is courage, comma, my love. Um, uh, it, courage for me um, means really, really uh, listening and owning who you are. And I write funny little stories about um, people who live in this uh, almost 
tin can world where everything on the outside looks pretty and everything on the inside is a bit broken. I like those stories, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the courage to not pursue materialism. That's something. I've never been attracted to a guy's car, but many women that I know are. And uh, I've never, I could live in a hovel. I really, if you go into my home right now, <laughs> much to my, you know, family's disdain, it's literally got a bed and, a, you know, I, I don't have, I, my office is beautifully decorated because it's a part of the culture of the office and I know that and I didn't decorate it. And that's the other thing. Um, so, so, but my home is very sparse usually. And my, you know, I tend to lean towards non-branded items unless they're, you know, Air Maxes or something. Yeah, that's, I like that. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I have that same struggle. I never, I never do. And I, I find that is because I need to step, courage is stepping away from what, whatever it is that society's telling you has to be done and just kind of just saying, no, no, I'm, I'm going to do it another way. Are you a bit I'm of a good. contrarian? I am. And um, I embrace that. I That's embrace cool. being a contrarian. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy the tension. I don't mind the tension. I think that there's goodness in that. Mm. Um, I, tension I, makes I, good stories. Yes, definitely. And I was born to tell stories. I think if you ask me, what are you born to do? Well, I was built to, born to build business and I was born to tell stories. And I tell them really well because um, I feel like that's kind of a weird and awkward gift I've been given. Hmm. But on the flip side of it, I also feel like to tell great stories, you need tension. You need to be contrary. You need to experience that. And be unafraid to experience it. A heartache to face that. Some people don't want to fall in love because they don't want to have their heart broken. Or they don't want to commit to somebody because they feel like, well, he's just going to leave me. Um, or I don't want to build a business because what if it fails? That, that to me, is the most anti-ream thing to be. You know, mm. you've got to just lunge, plunge. So the most anti-ream yeah, thing is yeah. lack of courage, but at the same time, you're somebody who doesn't have courage. Yeah, I feel no, like... No, you do have courage, do but have, you have but a lot of fear. I constantly, I have a lot of fear, and my life is often, I have fear and I... I have anxiety, quite a bit of anxiety. Do you not like that part about of of yourself? Um, I don't like it. I'd rather ha- not have it. You can't really say that you don't like yourself, but it's like a part of you that you wish you didn't have. I wish yeah. I didn't have because it's the constant. It's the thing I'm constantly working on. So when you see people around you with fear, what would you do? Usually, actually, today, God bless his little heart. I uh, <laughs> I sent my. We have a very introverted uh, member of my team. Very introverted. Does not. Uh, to more than two people in the room absolutely not and I literally threw him into the lion's den today I sent him to Abu Dhabi by himself to con- to sit at a client meeting with 10 people in the room and I just said you have to do this you're going to do this only once if you die in the room I promise I'll take care of everything <laughs> but you are going in my friend and if we lose the client we lose the client but wow, you no have way. to do this so he went of course he went and of course the client if we if he didn't go the client be like who am i talking to he has to yeah. meet you you know they have to meet you they have to see you and uh, i think i genuinely believe in doing things because you're afraid of them because you are fearful of them and because you know and it's that kind of paradoxical courage right yeah. you're scared so you have to do it is courage doing it or is courage not having the fear at all and you know you Would know. It, is it acceptance uh what do you mean Meaning to, to have that courage or to be able to have that leap of faith, even if it's not courage, but... It's self-acceptance. Y- right? Yeah. Like you're, 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 you accept yourself for... 
the good, you accept the evils in yeah. you. You kind of you got once you're once you. I feel like once you accept it, or you're content with your dark sides and when your you face your sides, demons. Exactly, you yeah. face it again. You're okay with it. Yeah, and I think that when you when you know the the narrative of who you are, that story that you tell yourself, I am this. Well, I don't do this. I don't love. I don't do that. That narrative is completely built by you. That's completely you. And completely built by you. Completely. Yeah. I don't believe I don't believe it's made by anybody else. So And so if you can tell yourself I am brave. Then it's then that's true. Yeah, then it's true. Or you'll at least make a like lame ass attempt at being brave, which is good enough. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, I feel That'll that get you to jump. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think that that's a, that's an interesting thing is like people who tell stories. Well, you can just tell the story differently. So many artists and writers and dancers and and, and singers and 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 musicians that I know uh, tell stories of their lives reworked. So they are the they tell the story where she didn't leave him and he he got to stay with her forever mm. or he ended up being a part of the basketball game because you know whatever I I think that that's a part of life that's a part of like you have to rework that story and the one thing that I'm really working on finding a way I'm actually building an entire talk around this is how powerful we actually are so uh, and that's a part of um, the journey that I'm experiencing with my, you know, my close um, family members who have cancer right now. How powerful my own experience is with them. If I look at, if you, if it's the way the world works. If you, if you think about death, all you're going to start to see is headlines of people dying. Exactly. But if you seek out... It's like his dad was talking about death the whole time. And then his yep. son has an issue. With yeah, because his dad, it's the mm. thing your dad fears the most in the world. But... What if you sought stories of people who survived miraculously, you know, which has been what I've been doing. I just like look and I'm like against all odds, this person has survived. Oh, look. And against all odds, this person survived. And this one and yeah, this one. It's selective attention. And yes. And you selectively pay attention to all of these wonderful things. And I think that there is so much power to that in your life. There is. Yeah. 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 And I don't ever believe that life is all good or all bad. No. It, it's so much both. Oh, Morocco. Hmm. <laughs> well, isn't that interesting? <laughs> yeah, it's like that, um, what's it called? It, we, we have that a lot in advertising when, you know, as soon as you have the intent or you're thinking about buying something, yeah, the you odds start are, seeing it everywhere. Yes, exactly. Yeah. As soon as like, oh, you know, I need a new car. What about this model? Then every time you're out, you would only see that model. It's yeah, you called it selective yeah. attention. Yeah. yeah, that's very interesting to me. And I feel like, there is power in that because what if you only chose to look at the good things, you know? Yeah. But that is courage. That's courage. There's courage in that. So much courage. So this talk that I'm working on is that, um, and I, I, I do little talks for the office as well. Like I, I basically because I pay their salaries, they have to listen to me. <laughs> so so I'm like, gather around, <laughs> like gather around. I have something to say, but it's usually actually I, I test the way I tell stories on them, and they're the most. They're so young, a lot of them, so they don't have a, their attention spans are shot. Which these guys? Yeah, no, Omar, you met you basically met the grandfathers of the group. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> like, the, other the other guys are they're all young and like they're just out in the city. They're, and like, they don't know what's going on. They they you know what? They're uh they're they're brilliant and they're great filmmakers and uh they are dedicated to 
my company and, and to the brand we've built. Uh, the, the, it's the weirdest thing, right? Imagine one day Omar and I were in our JLT studio apartment. We had this idea where like, we're going to make a production company that actually does what we said we always wanted to do, make great content and do it in, in the way that it should be done. And then a few years later, you, you're walking down the hallway and someone's like, that's not what collective is. That's not that's not like that's not what collective is. Collective is, you know, we what we stand for is brilliant work. That's not brilliant. And I Whoa. suddenly it dawned on me this thing we'd made up. <laughs> like I made up collective. I didn't do anything, you know, I made it up and I said, "Okay, well we're going to call it collective." And you know, obviously it was a group effort. We talked about it and we said, "Okay, we're going to call it collective." But this thing, what formed its identity, my company's identity, is so reflective of me and, and Omar and I when we built it. And that's the power of it. We put it in their faces, we made it into something, and our words literally became reality. So we defined so what they it live is. It. They're living it now. They live it now, and we give them a home. Uh, we give, you know, the broken, the brave, the, you know, what is it? Bring me your broken, your ridiculous, your, <laughs> your yeah, quirky and unemployable and I'll employ yeah. them and make them do film. <laughs> like, that's what I do, <laughs> pretty much. And I think that, you know, the truth is that it's a privilege to do art for a living. Maybe that's what yeah. this is all about. It's an absolute privilege to say I make film for a living, even when it's made for corporate, even when it's made for whatever, uh, uh, you know, and it's a privilege to do it here because this is a tough town. It's mm -hmm. a tough and, you know, it's a tough town. And if you're able to survive every month, you somehow make it and you somehow kind of barrel forward. And if your team is great like mine is, uh, there's really nothing more a girl could ask for. Mm -hmm. Like, what else, <laughs> what else yeah. do you want? Mm -hmm. You know? Touche. Yeah. Sad that for us is not here, but... um. He's going to have a lot of fun with this and drop in a mix at the end of it.
conversation with the guys at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and SoundCloud at Dukan Show. Subscribe to the show on your iTunes and Stitcher to stay up to date. And if you like what you hear, give it a rating. Dukan is hosted by OT, Irshad, and Tufus. You can also reach them on their personal social media profiles at OT Official and at Irshad underscore INI. And you can also reach Tufus at soundcloud.com slash Firas dash Ibrahim. Salam.
motherfucker whiplash. Whiplash. My mama said, like, hey, I gotta play the game so I can change the game. Uh huh. Shit. I gotta play the game so I can change the game. Mm. Uh huh. Lord. I gotta play the game so I can change the game. 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 Gotta play the game. Gotta play the game, like, ayy, I gotta play the game so I can change the game. She want Balenciaga heels upon the frame. So deny it, that is what I aim. But a trying man will get it hotter than a frying pan. And I demand you come here with a rubber band, a couple bands for my two light. Baby, give it to me. I kinda want you to see. The realest she'll encounter any group, category, subgenre. I'm honest and never pussy. Fools dying over loose leaf. Huh. I'ma be honest, that ain't 2G for a few G's or a few B's dumb. I just view greed, but you seeing green thumbs. Hey, what you growing? My nigga, what you growing? Everybody want a piece, want a piece. I fought with lions in the belly of the beast. I did things that would dry y'all to drink. And I was thinking about fucking on the sink. Got interrupted by the urgency to make cash. Speed now, mother, motherfucker, whiplash, whiplash. My mama said, like, hey, I gotta play the game so I can change the game. Shit, I gotta play the game so I can change the game. Like, hey, I gotta play the game so I can change the game. Shit, I gotta play the game. I gotta spend some change so I could get some change. Try me on Nana like Rihanna when she had the bang. Smoking Cubana, rock designer, try the newest range. <laughs> but ain't my guy that this and everything. Yes, the realest niggas never make the claims. <laughs> that the dollars are their makeups. I'd rather take a pay cut before I be a fake fuck. Needing your attention, do I need to mention that? Dollars burn, dreams don't. You switching teams, why, bro? can be away and still fly you rather not you gonna lose a lot but what do i know what do i know what do i know shit i don't even know but that shit don't make you glow like everybody want a piece want a piece i fought with lions in the belly of the beast i did things that would dry y'all to drink and i was thinking about fucking on the thing got interrupted by the urgency to make cash uh-huh Y'all wanna do? Wanna be ballers, shot callers, brawlers. Who be dipping in the bins with the spoilers? On the low from the Jake and the Taurus. Trying to get my hands on some grants like Horace. Yeah, living the raw deal. Three course meal, spaghetti, fettuccine, and veal. But still, everything's real in the field. And what you can't have now, leave when you will. Knock me for trying to bury seven zeros over in Rio de Janeiro. Ain't nobody's hero, but I wanna be heard on your hot nine seven every day. That's my word. Swimming in women with their own condominiums. Five plus fives who drive millenniums. It's all about the Benjamins. What? I get a fifty pound bag of oof for the mutts. Five carrots on my hands with the cuts and something I European wanna be out with the clutch. 
drinking more liquor, driving a bro bigger. I'm with most sippers, watched by gold diggers, rocking bajor denims with gold zippers. Lost your touch, we kept owls, popping crystals, freaking the three-quarter reptiles. Enormous cream, forest green, binge jeep for my team. So while you sleep, I'm a scheme. You see through, so I nobody never gonna believe you. You should do what we do, stack chips like. Don't let the melody intrigue you, cause I'll leave you. I'm only here for that green paper with the I'm strictly trying to cop those colossal size Picassos. I have poppin' flip coke outside those gastos. The end up with cash flowing like Sosa. And the Latin chick transporting in a chocha. Stampeding over pop modes, never sober. Flexing Range Rovers, dealing weight by Minnesota. Avoiding arcs with camcorders and Chevy Novas. Stash in the building with this chick named Malona from Daytona. When I was young, I want the boner. But now I only hit chicks who win beauty pageants. Tricking and taking me skin at the Aspens. Uh, gangsta mental. Stay popping crystal. Pack a black pistol and an act coupe that's dark brown. Pinky ringing. Gondolas with the man singing. Italian music down the river with your chick clinging. To my bizzles. Play you mad for. Acting hard when you as pussy as RuPaul's. Just me and you. Just me and you. Here's what we 
His agenda, 10th of November. J. Cole show what should have went up. But they're out there and we're out here to jibber grind and remember. Trained in sharpness, styles hidden with the terror like a LCTE tiger fist. Stars with the black in the moon in the midst. Greek souls like a mudgeless in the nighttime. Just me and you. Here's what we gon' do. Let me open my mind. Uh, make sure you come through. Yeah, the beast's on fire. Let me write that down. Hold on. Wait a second. Let me change that around. Shice sand. 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 I make the night get injured. 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 Lost first coming. Turn the bricks, hunting from the hip, quick draw gun in my six shooter burn up. Scatting hum till it comes to me, it would be nice to burn one. You heard, son, it's where I'm from. Being where I'm from, that's the island Sri Lanka. The pearl wonder, her bright sun brings a thunder. Wake from their slumber, dudes missing out like the Gunther. A friend's reverence, dipper stuns ya. Taser flow, they fall, I have an episode. Cold name surreal, mismatch like you never know. Step before, say again, that's a blow. That's a technique, let it rip, hit the road. Michelin, AT, F, Perry, Perry, It's hotter than Katie. Be on a mission, see these are bump lately. Rhymes of the gyps lifeline. Floor it in orbit, space, nighttime. Just me and you. Here's what we gon' do. Let me open my mind. Uh, make sure you come through. Yeah, the beast's on fire. Let me write that down. Hold on. Wait a second. Let me change that around. Shice sand. Shice sand. Shice sand, 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 shice sand